This season of Crazy Sexy Food is sponsored by KeyJays. KeyJays is an independent family-run business that has been making speciality sauces for professional chefs and home cooks like myself since 1985. KeyJays first launched with its goldfish brand Curry Sauce Concentrates. More recently, they launched Taste KeyJays of Suffolk. Inspired by travels to wonderful destinations around the world, these are six authentic quick and easy cook-in sauces and four Asian-inspired squeezy sauces. My particular favourites are the Spanish tomato sauce with its added paprika, as well as the Thai po chili sauce to rev up my meals. Order my favourites as well as the whole collection from keyjayssources.co.uk. That's K-E-E-J-A-Y-S sources.co.uk. Hello and welcome to Crazy Sexy Food. I'm your host, Hannah Harley-Young. I'm interested not only in food, but the people behind the food and the stories behind the people. Each episode, I sit down and talk all things food with well-known personalities, industry insiders and people who, well, just love their food. Today I'm joined by a woman I have never met, until now, but who I feel I have been best friends with for years. Lauren Mann is a force to be reckoned with. You may know her as Girl vs Cancer, as one third of the power trio behind the podcast, You, Me and the Big C, or even as Loza. In 2016, aged just 31, Lauren was devastatingly diagnosed with breast cancer. Upon receiving the news, and after having a few drinks at the pub, Lauren decided there was a huge gap in the way cancer was discussed and dealt with amongst the younger cancer community, and so enter Girl vs Cancer a blog and platform that Lauren created to crush the cancer taboo amongst like-minded people. She documented her journey, fundraised, and even created a successful merchandise company. Fast forward four years, and she is a multifaceted broadcaster, writer, and influencer. I have been following Lauren's journey for the past couple years, and she doesn't yet know how much of an impact she's had on my life. But today's the day. Lauren, thank you for coming on. Hello, that's made me a bit emotional. <laughs> There's <laughs> going to so be a lovely. lot of tears. There's going to be a lot of oh, tears. That's mate. my PSA right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, honestly, it's so emotional. It's so lovely. Thank you. Like, No, I, well, it's all true. Like, honestly, I I don't know about how you're feeling in a minute, but I feel like in such a little like bubble and like so isolated in certain respects. Like, I'm currently in my flat in East London and I'm here alone because... Um, I'm in between flatmates and one of my flatmates is with her boyfriend for lockdown. Um, so I've been here alone and like you just get into your head a lot. And then when someone says nice things to you <laughs> and actually makes you go, oh, bloody hell, a lot of stuff's gone down yeah. here. Um, a lot has gone down. It, it's like, oh, yeah, actually, I'm all right. I'm doing OK. Yeah. Thank you. I'll just I'll just call you up every day and just give you like a little a little list of all your achievements. That'll I mean, you you've, you've set yourself up for a fail there now. I'm going to be expecting it. <laughs> Um, how are you and what did you have for breakfast today? Oh, how am I? What did I have for breakfast? I am, I would say, I would say on the surface. And I think that means with everything. So one minute I'm on the surface, I'm like, oh, I'm so happy. And then the next minute I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to cry. So everything's kind of up around the surface um, today. And for breakfast, I actually had, I did a good breakfast. I had coconut milk and chia seed pudding. I try and make like Ooh. a little half batches every few days of it with kiwi. Kiwi oh honey God. and cashews, yeah. It's a oh, note to self. Amazing. It's a note to self I do. It's a little self-care. I try and have a really healthy breakfast if I can. Start the day off healthy and then if I decline into having hula hoops for lunch, it's yeah. not such a bad thing. <laughs> I'm so glad you've mentioned crisps in the intro because just just wait till you get to the end of this conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, we had a little chat before we started recording, mm-hmm. but it's been a year, mm-hmm. to say the least. Mm-hmm. And I just wondered, like, aside from asking how you are, like, how have you actually been doing? Because it's challenged all of us in so mm-hmm. many different ways. And you're quite open, actually, especially on social media about, you know, mental health Mm. and how we kind of just want to, like, be able to look after ourselves as much as possible during adversity. And I wondered what kind of practices you've been putting in place to kind of, like, keep your head above water, because 
we're all in it. Yeah. But like h- how we navigate it is obviously quite different, isn't it? It is. And I think, to be honest, I did what I always do when crisis happens and that's get busy. So like I always talk about girl versus cancer being a massive distraction technique that kind of took on a life of its own and it was it was a way for me to feel control and be able to put my energy into something else other than a pure unadulterated terror that cancer diagnosis is and like I think at the start of lockdown there was a lot of mirrors to cancer so like you know that that real uncertainty at the start so you know before we actually went into a full lockdown we knew coronavirus was here we knew stuff was happening all of a sudden the streets kind of felt eerie people were still going into work we were allowed to do things but it was frowned upon and there wasn't yeah. any real structure and that sense of uncertainty and the and that feeling of something is about to happen that's really game changing but everything feels normal that is what I can describe as when I first got diagnosed with cancer felt like it it was a very similar feeling and it was quite triggering because I was like this feels really familiar why it's because when I got diagnosed with cancer for for I didn't start treatment for a couple of months because I had my eggs frozen so for a couple of months it was uh, as much as I knew this was happening my life was still my life I was still had hair I still walking around feeling well apart from this lump that apparently was in my breast trying to kill me and it was this impending doom feeling that you knew something was coming and you weren't prepared because you'd never experienced it before. You don't know how it's going to hit you. That is what lockdown felt like for me again. So it was a real weird thing at the beginning. I kind of felt this real uncertainty and panicked. And like, that's when I started doing lockdown lip sync straight away and like coming up with all these things really threw myself into work. Um, I guess that's a coping mechanism that I'll always have. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing as long as I'm not masking too much with it. You know, as long as I can actually sit down and go, right, you need to stop today because you're having a wobble. Um, and then I feel like I kind of went into that phase of being really busy and we got into a little flow in the house. I think everyone found a little bit of routine at the start, didn't they? And the novelty was kind of there for the first couple of months. I think by the time it got to mid-May, I'd had my birthday. I was meant to, it was my 35th birthday, which I always see is quite a big birthday. I think, especially having gone through cancer diagnosis, like there's no birthday that doesn't count. So actually I was robbed of a birthday during my diagnosis. My 32nd birthday was spent in surgery. So I didn't I was like I'm not up for this again so soon actually um mm. so I had a great birthday my flatmates threw me an amazing like we, they called it loho house I saw it it looked insane wasn't it amazing so can I just say I kind of want your friends because I'll like my friends you want. take a li- take a little like <laughs> chip out of your lot it was ridiculous it was mad, wasn't it? So for the listeners, basically, I'm a Soho House member and I use my membership a lot. So when <laughs> um, when we went into lockdown, the girls turned my house into Loho House and we had a low shed spa in the bathroom. So little candles and like, I had music playing when I had a shower in the morning. And then my flatmate Danielle's a stylist. So she worked with some brands like Kitri and got me a whole rail of dresses to style me up for my birthday. And then they made our little roof terrace, which when I tell you, I say it's a terrace, it's the roof of our kitchen that is our fire escape. It is tarmac and it smells of fried chicken because we live above, above a chicken shop. So it wasn't like this amazing it. thing. I love it. I but love they it. got all stripy fabrics and they laid it all yeah. out and they made it like, and they got a little paddling pool, put wine in it, like the Soho house roof. And they just made it so special. And they, they organized loads of drive-bys from my friends. So loads of my friends would turn up and like, just wave at me from the door and like, get my presence and I got to see loads of people I loved it was it was a really special day um but I think after that I crashed I think I was just focusing on getting to my birthday because I didn't know if I'd be able to see my family and after that I solidly crashed like I was meant to be going to Mauritius as a celebration that I got to 35 that holiday of a lifetime gone um there was there was a lot of that, and I think just every time they pushed the yards, uh, the marker back and said oh, it was going to be more time, more time. I think we all just started. I think I'm not alone. I think a lot of us started to crumble. Me um, too. Yeah, did you? Interestingly, I massively declined uh, at the end of summer. Also, what, what I realised is a lot of trauma that I had suppressed through keeping busy and life, and just you know, the way things. You know, it's not been an easy four years since my diagnosis. It's been really challenging and a lot has happened. I've lost a lot of people I love and, you know, my whole world I had to rebuild. So it's been challenging, but there's also been some amazing highs. And I feel like that is what was 
that is kind of what got me through to this point was massive highs, massive lows. So I was constantly having to like juggle that. All of a sudden, I'm just in my own head and I'm in my own house and I'm not seeing people that I love and I'm anxious through the roof. And my health anxiety is getting terrible because not only have we got a virus out there that I'm terrified of, but I started losing friends. And then it was like a mirror to my worst fears. And it was just horrific. Like I just went into a really, really dark space. And I think it's just where I had to really, really for the first time sit in the trauma that I went through when I was diagnosed, all the things that have happened since, anything that could come up for me was coming up. Um, mm. But I don't I don't necessarily feel like now, I mean, I was broken, but now I'm like, and I'm still not 100%, but I do feel like, do you know what, this is par for the course. And this is, this is, I would probably wouldn't have healed, be healing the way I am if I hadn't had this time to. Because I never thought in my life after chemo I'd have a year written out of my life again. Now all of a sudden I'm in it again, having a year taken away from me. My whole life's on pause, but I'm healthy. And that's my gratitude. Every day I'm healthy. I'm like, this is challenging, but I've got my health. And actually using this time that I never thought I'd ever get again. I never thought I'd have complete pause in my life again to really use it to, to grow. And that's what I'm trying to focus on rather than what has been taken away. I've really tried to look at what growth has come out of this time and how attuned I am to myself because I've never felt like this. I've never felt so in line with my own feelings, my body, everything. And it's very strange because you pull the bullshit away and all the things that busy us and distract us and all of a sudden there's not much, not much space to hide. So, yeah, it's been, like you said, it's been a roller coaster. I definitely don't feel out of the woods of it yet. This lockdown's hitting yeah. me quite hard, actually. Um but it's, it, look, day by day, what can we do other than take it day by day? Well, absolutely. You've mentioned a lot about your cancer diagnosis, which mm. we are going to come mm. on to. But before we get to that, I just wanted to rein it all the way back mm. to the beginning. Um, you were mm. born and raised Londoner like myself. Mm -hmm. What was life like growing up? I want to know what you were eating, who was mm. cooking. Did food play a massive part in your life growing up? Was it important? Like, paint the picture for me. Yeah, I grew up in Fulham, so southwest London. Um, I've west got mum, side. West side, baby. And I've got my, <laughs> yeah, my mum and my mum and my daddy. So they're together still. Um, and they've got me, my brother and my sister. And there's only like, I think it's 17 months between me and Hayley. Um, so I'm the oldest wow. at 35. My sister's now 34. Um, and yeah, I'll be turning 36 and my brother's 30. So we're quite close in age. And my mum had us, my mum and dad had us, I was 20, um, she was 21 when she had me. So by the age of 26, she had three kids under the age of five. So as you can imagine, that is hectic. <laughs> that is a hectic, hectic time. My um, eyes are wide open. <laughs> mm, and um, I bought, I'm born and raised in Fulham, but so was um, my grandparents were both in Fulham as well. So we were really close to my mum's mum, um, my dad's mum and dad, like all of them together. And they literally ran the corner from each other. That's actually how they met. Uh, my granddad's introduced my mum and dad. Mad, Stop isn't it? it? Doesn't happen these days. All these stories, you never oh, hear God, of. I love stories like this. Yeah, mum and dad were introduced by my granddad's because um, they both drank down the pub. Um, and there's no, a pub called... I love this. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, and there's a pub called the Durrell in Fulham. Um, which is yeah. a bit like people love that pub and um, that's where mum and dad first met so I was born and raised first of all lived with my nan and then mum and dad moved to Sands and more towards Wandsworth um, with us three but my like my childhood you know what I had a really happy childhood I feel like I feel like I was a child I feel like I didn't have to grow up too quickly you know me and my brother and my sister were so close in age my mum and dad like lived in a council flat a two bed with five of us like my we had bunk beds in my room my mum and dad had a double bed in my brother's bedroom like it we made and we made it work and it never felt like we went without anything like obviously I get frustrated that I was a teenager having to share a room with my brother but it 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 was it was we made it work we never we had a happy household we we were really really close and and I lived around the corner from all my friends. I went to a school. I did all right. It wasn't the best school, but I did all right because my mum had instilled in me, get your A-levels. Because once you get your A-levels, you can do whatever you like. So yeah. I kind of had the fear of not doing it. Um, but yeah, food, I guess. Like my mum was busy looking after three kids. My dad was working. So fast food was always quite what I'd say, meat and two veg. Like we're Irish. So my mum was always like beef stew and dumplings. 
She used to make food fun for us. I remember her making these mashed potato volcanoes and putting beans <sighs> all around the bottom of it and it's spilling out the top, like dropping it on the top and then putting two sausages in it. I love that. Like I love playing it. with food, like with yeah. always things. And, you know, it was things like um, potato, like letters and she'd spell our names yeah, out yeah. and oh. things like that. And it was like that old school vibe. It was frozen food chucked in or like, you know, real hearty meals. I was obsessed with corned beef hash as a child. Really? Corned beef hash and baked beans. I was obsessed. I still now love corned beef. It's grim, but I love corned beef. Wait, hold on. Corned beef, isn't that... Like, you can put corned beef into, like, a bolognese, can't you? Mm-hmm. I swear, like, someone like Delia Smith has, like, a special cheat or something where you put, like, already cooked and it's delicious. Yeah, I I mean, I'm a, I am now, as an adult, when I go to my mum and dad's house, because I don't really have, like, meat in the house, really, weirdly. I only really cook fish at home now. But as a kid, there's a lot of processed meats, a lot of processed foods. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So we had, like, the sliced corned beef in the house a lot and now even now when I go back if my dad's got it in the fridge I feel no way about going into the fridge cutting, <laughs> off, cutting off a slice of brie or cheese lathering it in mustard and wrapping a bit of corned beef around it and eating it like a little sandwich it's my favorite snack. It's a I pop- love it do you know what there's actually something snack. to be there's something to be said as well about going back to your parents house and just knowing that you are okay to open that fridge and take what the hell you want without mm-hmm. asking I actually go back to my parents' house and I before I've even said hello to anyone, mm. it's like this weird like habit that I have. And yeah. I'll go straight to the fridge, have a little look, see what's going on, what can I pick out, what can yeah. I make quickly, and then I can say hello to everyone. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 a snacker. So I'm someone who likes to I do like to graze. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I would never go to my mum's and go, I'm gonna make a sandwich of it. I'll go, no, oh, no, I, no, no, I'll no, have no. a slice of ham and I'll and I'll have a little yeah. baby bell or I'll do something like that. Um but yeah, it's just about it's and it was like that in my nans. I think it's just part of my life that like even my sister, God bless her, I go around to her house now with the kids and I'm like, Can I have a cheese string? Like I just <laughs> straight in the fridge. Um but yeah, we, we we always sat down and had dinner together as kids. We'd sit around our table and, and we'd make sure we had it. And and my mum my mum always said she my mum is not a big lover of cooking. My dad loves food, but again, not the greatest. I think it's generational. I always tell like, my mum and dad are like that that frozen fruit, um, ready meal kind of era. Um, and like, they're like, just McCain's quick, get it done. chips. I used to love McCain's crinkle yeah. oven chips. Oh my God, same. And the ones you put in the <laughs> microwave then, like fries to go and yes. all that stuff. Yes. So, yeah. So like in my house, it was like, you're getting fed, get your food in. It wasn't like for me as an adult now, I take such pleasure in food and creating food. That I think more for my mum and dad, it was like, right, we've got to get the kids fed. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, but we did always eat together. We had to make sure we like ate as much as we could. My mum and dad didn't ply us with sugar and sweets. That wasn't really a thing. Um, you know, McDonald's was a treat. It was that yeah. kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we never went um, hungry. <laughs> never went hungry. Thank God. In an Irish family, <laughs> never went hungry. Were you interested in food? Like, did you ever go and like help out in the kitchen at all, or like? Yeah, my mum didn't really like us in the kitchen. I think we got on her nerves. We did have a lot of space. We're like yeah. in a really small council property, so you know, and like there wasn't much room in the kitchen. So we'd be more of a hindrance than a help. So mm. like for us my, more, it was like mum was like cleaning up, doing the washing up, doing things like that, where my mum and dad would just bang out the dinner. And even now my dad will cook dinner for my mum and stuff. It's really nice. Like when I go over, like my dad's like, I'm like, it's like, oh, your father's making me this. So, you know, they make they make each other dinner, which is cute. Oh, that's so um, cute. Yeah, but we got to a certain age, to be honest, Hannah, where my mum and where my mum and dad were like, I'm not cooking anymore because we all got to different ages. We became yeah. teenagers. We're in and out of the house at different times. Meals together didn't work. So then we'd just start cooking for ourselves. And that's kind of when I started to learn a bit more of my... Cu- I mean, I don't feel, still don't feel like I'm great in the kitchen, but I feel like now I've got a confidence where I'll just try things out. Mm. But when I'd make... It's always, always for me, it's always been like stir fry veg, and like chicken breast that you could wallop in the oven with some seasoning on. You know, something that's all right, easy but quick. Easy peasy, yeah. Easy, easy peasy, yeah. Yeah, totally. Most people who are listening to this will know your story, but for those who don't, and I know I mentioned it in the intro, at age 31, you were diagnosed with breast cancer, which mm. is something I genuinely cannot even fathom. I feel like you and I are quite similar girls. Like, mm-hmm. and that, it's one of those sort of, that shit doesn't happen to people like me kind of Mm. mentality, right? Mm. And Mm. I mean, there's so many things that I could ask you about this. Um, 
But I guess the main, I guess the first question I kind of want to ask is, you've been told this news, which mm. must probably sort of like hit you in the face. And I can imagine also must take a long time to kind of process. Like you kind of hear mm-hmm. it and you're like, huh, what? You know, what mm. was your initial response to this? Like how, how, and how did the people around you respond? I mean, my initial response was shock. It's my worst nightmare. Like I'd been, I'd had a lot of uh, young losses when I was like a teenager and stuff. And I think I've always had this real fear around my immortality. I've been very aware of my mortality for longer than I should have been. At 16, you shouldn't be so fixated on it. And so for me, when it happened, it was like my worst nightmare, my biggest fear coming to life. I was like, well, I'm going to die of cancer because my first experience of cancer was my dad's mum and she died within a month. So it was like, and then I lost my grandparents and it was just, it was a terrifying thing to hear. But in that moment when I got diagnosed, the world fell from underneath me. Like you, the way I always describe it is like being shot up on one of those rides in, in, a, in a fairground that drops you again. Like the whole world just goes woof and you can't really place yourself and everything feels a bit far away. But then as it started to sink in and like I had to cling on to what the consultants told me and I, my first thing was, I don't want to die. And they said, you're not going to. We don't think this is going to happen. We think we've got this really early. And I was just like, oh, okay. Didn't like, you know, because that's automatically where you go to. Of course, of course. And then, you know, I was speaking to the Macmillan nurse and she was like, this is a massive inconvenience. It's going to be really tough, but we will, we will get you through the other side of this. Like, and I think I just had to cling on to those words. And it's, I always say the first two weeks after a diagnosis, like a bereavement, you, you start to mourn yourself because you know things are going to change forever and you can't quite place why like I said earlier that uncertainty but you do it takes a good couple two or three weeks for you to realize and accept and the, as soon as I got diagnosed I went to the pub obviously uh just drank shit tons of Prosecco <laughs> and like just said to my mates I'm gonna be all right I'm gonna ma- I'm gonna make this work for me I'm gonna they've said it's an inconvenience I'm gonna make this work for me I'm gonna do something I never knew this about cancer. I never knew I'd lose my fertility. I never knew this. All these things were raring in my head that I had no idea about. And actually, if I'd have known more about the disease, maybe I'd have felt a little bit less afraid. And like, I just, the the idea of what cancer looked like to me was not me. So I was like, well, this doesn't make sense because I've been fed this idea of a disease that I am now part of. And I'm not that person. I'm never going to be. And I knew one other person who had cancer in their 30s and I spoke to them and I'm they're like, yeah, mate, like, no, it's not what you think. Um, so that that's kind of where I kind of went straight to. I was terrified. I didn't, funnily enough, I spoke to a lot of people and when they said they had to have chemo, they were like, I just really didn't want to have it. And I was like, I didn't want to have it, but I didn't really think about it too much because I knew I had to have it to live. Yeah. So I was just like, I just got to get on with it. And it was just that mentality of, right, let's get this started so we can get this done. These are conversations mm. that you never thought that you would be having mm. because yeah. why, why would you? Yeah. Right. Like I, I want to make this conversational to explain mm. to you how I kind of found out about mm. you. And I still mm. don't know who told me about the podcast, but mm. uh, my brother was diagnosed with cancer in 2015 mm. at age 38. Mm. And um, it's obviously a subject that yeah. is deeply personal to me and my Mm. family and him and it still makes me very upset thinking about Mm. it and because of the nature of my work I spent a lot of time with him at the Marsden so I was there at every chemo appointment I was there to pick him up from every surgery he was having everything that needed a family member I kind of Mm. took on that role sort of alongside with my mum as well and interestingly There's something to be said about the people around the person Mm -hmm. who is ill because not taking away from that person at all because, Mm -hmm. you know, that first and foremost is Mm -hmm. number one. But you have actually touched on it in the podcast about the family and how the Mm -hmm. family deal with it because you're kind of there, you're devastated, you're heartbroken, you're terrified, but then you're having to keep on this face of like strength and you know let's get this going and I can't show them that I'm upset you know I would step out of the room in like ICU Mm -hmm. when Danny was in recovery to go and cry Mm -hmm. because I couldn't Mm -hmm. felt like I couldn't cry in front of him Mm -hmm. and yeah so like I mean how did your family like deal with this I mean mate it's that thing isn't it like we we've been through a lot of shit as a family like we've had a lot of hurt 
and we rally like we just rally and like my family we're quite a tight unit and as soon as it happened it was just that thing of right what do we do what do we need my sister was off researching everything she could about breast cancer ordering every leaflet pamphlet everything so that I didn't have to do it chasing doctors to get referrals all this stuff my brother took on this role of like a social secretary to me where you know he would field all the questions that I was constantly getting because it was too much and like I really appreciated it and then my mum and dad were my mum and dad like they were like you're gonna be okay I'm not having this my mum's a cancer survivor so I like look at my mum and I'm like right she's done it I can do it and she had that mentality with me she's like you just gotta get through this pal and you know that strength I remember the day after I was diagnosed and I went to the hospital with my dad and I was like can you come with me because I'd have more biopsies more scans I'd never been in an MRI machine I'd never I'm terrible with needles even getting the cannula was traumatic at that point I was like yeah. oh, this is horrible and it and you know actually that first day it was me my brother <laughs> I think it was my brother as well me my sister my dad my brother like mob handed down that hospital they're probably like why are all these people here <laughs> um because it was that rally, you know, and, yeah. and like I remember having to get another biopsy done, further biopsies, and one in my lymph node as well. Um, and I was terrified, and, and I just said, Dad, will you come in with me for this one? Because I'd had a biopsy before, and I didn't, it wasn't like pleasant, and I'm quite nervous in medical situations. Now I'm a bit calmer. But he was like, Of course, I went, but you're going to see my boobs. And he went, Babe, I've wiped your ass. Like, it's not a problem. So it's like, yeah everyone just kind of rallied but I I as time goes more and more I lent on my sister a hell of a lot like she she's become my very much my person like me and her always got on but we we get a loggerheads we're so close in age and we're quite different people at times but we she's become my person and you know I lent on her a lot and I do sit there and think Jesus for my sister she was pregnant you know all the anxieties that go around that I was I had cancer like my sister probably in the background was you know, they were probably all trying to look after each other. My mum fronts, as she always does, like, you know, you're going to be all right, you're going to be all right. I, de- I never saw my mum break down or no, I never saw my family really get that upset. Even when I got told, my brother kind of was upset, but was holding it together for me. But there was this one moment that I went with my brother, my sister and my mum when we went for our consultation before I started chemo with um, the surgeon. Um, <coughs> we were talking about options because... We wanted to save my breast, so we were going to start chemo first and do a lot of it. We were going to do eight rather than six to really try and nuke this. And um, my, I remember sitting there with my brother and my sister and my mum and the surgeon talking to me, me and my sister talking, and my, I could see my brother and my mum were just like, their eyes, and they, you could see the panic and fear in them. And I just said to them, I was like... Hayley's coming with me to chemo. You're not coming. Because I was just like, yeah. I, I, I didn't want to make them feel bad, but also I didn't want to put them in positions where, you know, I did look to my dad and my and my and my family for strength in those moments where I was terrified. And I can only imagine what that feels like for them. But also I've had to be in that situation and quite a few times in friendships I've had in cancer. I we nursed my nan and granddad through cancer. We were very close to it. We weren't like hidden away we were there um at the at the bedside with them doing everything they needed to mm. doing so I've kind of there's so much of me that is heartbroken because I only get a sense of what that must have been like for them and I know the long-term impact that's probably had mm. or will have had on them well that's it's really not interesting. You're not an island no yeah, not an and island. I think also what I found really interesting I mean my brother is okay now by the way <laughs> Uh, yeah um but he what i what i felt happened was that in the period of time that he was ill it was Mm. like i was in total overdrive i was like right a bit like your family right let's do this let's get this fucking ball rolling like let's just fight what we need to fight and like you know whatever um and then it was actually when he got the all clear that Mm. things really turned for me and mm. I actually got quite depressed because yeah. I kind of felt like you have put this load of shit on my brother, mm. on my family. Mm. And we've gone mm. through this tsunami of mm. just like unbelievable experiences to mm. then be told, oh, it's all fine now. You can crack on. On your way. Baby. On your way. Can- How did you like, because that's a really weird like feeling. Babe, it's just bizarre. It is- 
which is bizarre. And us in the cancer community talk a lot about falling off of a cliff edge. And I don't think that's just the patient. Like, it becomes a part of your day-to-day life. It becomes your full-time job. You're on a conveyor belt of treatments and procedures and scans and appointments and side effects and, like... It's relentless. And all of a sudden, that's not it. But then also the fear. Once you've been through a cancer experience, you don't ever want to go through it again. And you know no one can ever guarantee that's not going to come back. So then you have to start dealing with this rebuilding a life. But then also, as you said, it's the fallout. So you've had to be strong, all of you, for so long to keep going. I think for us, we had... So I finished treatment in... I finished chemo in the April... I had surgery in the May and then I started radiotherapy in the July, August. And my nephew was born in the June. And oh I think God. my nephew, we, babe, we talk about it a lot. That boy, the relationship I have with my nephew, he saved our family because we, as much as all this stuff was going on with me, we had my sister and the baby. And that must have been a lot of pressure for my sister to be this like bringer of joy. But it was a real focus for us all. And it was a blessing, that boy. That mm. boy is a blessing. He got us through. Like, he really did. And I think, you know, we all crashed a bit on the other side of it. But then we had that focus of Griff. Um, and it's and it, and it has been something that's carried us through. But I think every single... I mean, I don't I don't think any, a lot of my family have actually dealt with it. I don't think my mum's dealt with it. Yeah. I don't think she has at all. Um, and she's a different generation. Like, we'll go off and get therapy and stuff. My mum won't do stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's a massive crash, and I'm not I was surprised you did. Straight into a therapist's office, I was like, "We need to deal with this right now," because <laughs> yeah. I am good. literally off the cliff at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's too much, and the thing is, yeah. you, it you know, it's a place you never want to go to. These things, it's a mortality thing. It brings you to the brink with someone that you love, and then if you're the patient, it's you. And you know, once you've gotten that close to your own death, love, you'd never ch- yeah. it changes you, and and. That's why I think it's so important that we have the conversations we do um, because we have to get comfortable having them because this is life. Like, this is life. It's happened. It happens. We can't change it. We've got to deal with it and process it and move through it because like your brother now, this is the tap- part of our tapestry of my life. This is woven into me and I will never go away. But I don't want it to go away. I want to live alongside it and grow. So... I think that's the same it might be for you guys as well mm. as a family. If you see it as this like isolated trauma that you never want to talk about again, fine. But I also do feel like that's never going to go anywhere. And actually, if you can process it and learn to live alongside it and what it's taught you, that's a much better place to come at it from. I think something that I really admire about you is that amidst all of this absolute madness, you then go and create Girl versus Cancer. And I kind of wish that it all happened at the same time that like we were going through the stuff with my brother Mm. because you know there is this massive taboo about cancer especially for for people our age we're very similar ages and you know what what do we need to do to crush that that basically if you've got cancer it's a death wish because it's not necessarily it's not it's not And and the fact we know it can kill and we know that's a very real thing I've lost too many friends to it and family members to it but it's not a death sentence like it's not where we were years ago and I think the problem we have is the narrative around cancer like it's sensationalized cancer deaths are everywhere we don't celebrate the survivor stories and and I think people need hope and I think the more we show different facets of cancer you know in order for charities to get big money through the door and stuff they have to do it they have to show these horrible horrific things so people go oh my god give money but then what they actually don't realize they're doing is they're triggering people who've been through it mm. they trigger it i honestly there's days when i've really bad cancer days and i put on the telly and there's a Macmillan advert and i'm like i don't need this right now yeah. and it's not and but the cancer research ones funnily enough where they're like you've you've got the all clear and stuff i'm like oh my god like they're the moments to be That's heroes so true i haven't really thought about that mm, because you do like, yeah. and even in like soaps and stuff like that like they do such great jobs of portraying certain situations, but can we not have a cancer survival? Can yeah. we not have a process? Um, you know, like, can we not really show it for what it is? It's, 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 um, I think, you know, the main things is we change the conversation. We really diversify the kind of cancer experience that we show. 
in terms of race, age, gender, everything. Like we really need to show the spectrum of it. Um, because I think the issue we have is we think young people won't be affected. So they think they're invincible. And it's not to scare among you. It's just to let you know that should it happen, it can happen. There, here's your people. You'll be all right. Because we know with every cancer, Hannah, don't we, that it's early early diagnosis is the key thing. Completely. So alienating the young, they're not going to get checked on time, you know? Totally. Something that I really um, was very interested in during Danny's treatment was his reaction and his uh, relationship with food whilst he was going through mm. chemo. And I wondered how your approach was to sort of eating and your diet, because he there were like specific things that he just couldn't eat because of the tastes, you know, his t change in taste. Um, the whole body is going through, you know, a yeah. total shock. How was your relationship with food at the time? It's a funny one. So I'm someone who likes to, I feel like I've got quite a balanced diet. I eat quite healthily, but then if I do want a pizza, I'll have one. If I want a bar of chocolate, I'll have one. I exercise, I eat well, but then it means that I have that other side that I don't really pun punish myself if I fancy sitting and eating bags of crisps. So it's like... <laughs> Yeah, I just don't believe in it. I think having good foods and bad foods is a bad is Oh, terrible. life's too bloody like, short. Food, you know? And it's like, what does it make you feel like? Does it make you feel good or bad? And why is that? Is it physically make you feel bad or because of societal pressures? So I've always been someone who tries to eat quite well. Um, so when I got diagnosed, I was continuing to eat as I did. I'd get up in the morning, have like avo and smoke salmon on toast and like, you know, make like make nice foods for myself. And I had this thing is like, I'm going to make sure I eat juices and I'm going to eat healthily because, you know, when you're going through a cancer diagnosis, there's a lot of information shoved down your throat about it. Everyone's saying you've got to go into a vegan diet. You've got to do this. Make sure oh you eat this. Oh, God, don't no. get me started. The best oh, one that my mum had was, um, oh, no, don't tell Danny to do chemo. He must start taking ginger. That will cure him. Oh, my yeah. My mum was like, oh, really? All right, we'll go do that. Yeah, fine. Broccoli <laughs> or like... There was a whole thing around apricot kernels, and I'm like, cyanide. Oh sure. yeah, I, I saw that as well. <laughs> I was just like, right, okay. So, but so it was really. I'll be honest with you. It's a real pressure and a real stress when you're sick with cancer, the diet thing, because you're made to feel like this is how you should be feeding your body, and only eat veg and only do this and only do that. And the thing is, it's like. Okay, at the start of chemo, I had energy to cook for myself and do things, right? By chemo three, I couldn't. I didn't want to get out of bed and make myself food. I was hungry, but I didn't want to get up. I definitely didn't want to be cooking all veggies. I didn't have energy. I wanted something quick that I could bang in the oven, in the microwave and eat. Deliveroo and Uber fast became my best mates. I started living off takeaways, quick things to eat. Like, I, I just, all that veg stuff went out the window because I just couldn't, even think about how to cook it like your brain is so foggy I would forget words all the time like mm. so I didn't want to do those things and like my mum and dad then had to be back at work so like my dad would come chemo with me luckily at one point in my chemo it meant that I had chemo Fridays and there'd be people home with me on the weekend so they could make me stuff but I was home alone you know my I don't I don't have a, a like we like I know there's people out there who like have housekeepers and stuff like that you can help them make them food I don't have that so I was trying to make soups when I felt well, freeze them. But then even then, I wasn't, my tastes were all funny. So I'd make a soup and then defrost it and go, oh, I don't like the taste of this anymore. What happened to your taste buds? My first chemo, I was all right. I get really bad in heartburn and indigestion, really bad. I really suffered with my tract. Um, so in certain days, I think it was like three days after steroids, days between like five and six, I'd just be like, or it was so painful just to eat and drink anything. Um, and then my second round of chemotherapy, like the other four, I'd first four, then the second four, they changed the drugs. And that was like domestos for your cells. Really? It, were, it wiped me out of everything. And my taste buds started to change. So cup of, cup of tea tastes like papier-mâché. Like, and I live off tea. I'm drinking one now. I li I'm Irish. We, that, it's IV'd into us at birth. Tea. Couldn't drink tea. And loads of things became acidic. So, like, I really love passion fruit stuff, like Lava Solero and, like, Pornstar Martinis. And I went um, for my friend's birthday. They picked me up and drove me to have dinner for my friend's birthday so I could be there. And I was like, can I get, like, a virgin passion fruit martini? Because I was only a couple of weeks out of my chemo. And I, I put it in my mouth and I drank it. It's like someone had burned my tongue. It was really? horrible. And I was like, oh, my God, like, this one thing I was craving... Mm. 
couldn't have and, and and it just ended up being like mcdonald's chips burgers like things that didn't taste of much beige that food stodgy beige food so that i was getting my calories because they tell you in yeah. chemo you don't want your weight to fluctuate too much and again it's that thing is i was out i was trying to get out and walk every day and do yoga and stuff and then that falls by the wayside because you're knackered and there's this pressure on cancer patients to be able to pull of that shit out of the bag and you can't man like i don't i would never make anyone feel bad for sitting on the sofa eating pizza for two months or three months you have to do what you have to do to get through every day. And as long as you're getting food into your body, you have, you're doing good there, mate. Because a lot of people can't keep food down. So I think it's just one of those things where, you know, my relationship with food, I felt like a failure for a long time that I, that I wasn't eating all the veg and I wasn't having smoothies. And, you know, I wasn't having this like really healthy diet and stuff because that's what people were telling me I should be doing. But actually looking back now, I'm like, nah, you do what you need to do. Were you eating? Good. That's, I don't that's the main thing. Diet. Yeah, completely. It's getting food into your body is the main thing. Um, totally. So, if it can be healthy, great. But if you're not there, you know, I'm a healthy eater. So for me in cancer, that went the other way. Yeah. No fucking Sherlock. Yeah. Like, I, I was just surviving. So, stodge for the win. And then amidst all of this, you set up Girl Versus Cancer. And... I mean, did you imagine that it would become what it has? Do you know what? When I got it, I was like, imagine one day that there'll be a Lauren diagnosed and they fight, they know where to go. That was always my aim. But I never really thought about it in the scale of it. No. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. I didn't really imagine what that would ever look like. And it's only now, four years down the line, that I'm doing work behind the scenes to get it to be an actual platform where it's going to be fully functioning and actually take my face away from it. Because, you know, the reach that it's made, the, 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 we did some market research and the massive reason people come and stay and find girl versus cancer is the tone of voice and the attitude towards the disease. People feel empowered and inspired and they feel like they can find someone like them and like the found a best friend that gets it. And that was all I ever wanted because I couldn't find that really easily. Now social media is a different world and there's a lot of cancer chat. But what I worry about is that there's people going on there that start accounts as a cancer patient. I'm like, you've given yourself no space to be you. So mm, I moved myself. Yeah, I've had to. And even now it's quite hard. Like I am cancer girl a lot of the time. I'm slowly becoming out of that. But I'm having to separate my Instagram accounts and make and like rebrand girl versus cancer is the process I'm going through at the moment to take me off of it because people align me. I am girl versus cancer. And actually, that was never the plan. I always knew at some point it needed to be a wider collective of experiences because I'm not cancer. I am one version of one person's version of you're one version of it but you speak a language that has never been spoken before about a said topic which i think is so important like that's why i say i kind of wish that i had that whilst going through danny's treatment because you know you're reading pamphlets or you're re you're speaking to oncologists like yeah okay like i understand what you're saying but you're talking to me in a language that i'm not going to really connect with you on no I'm and it's it's difficult because you know quite frankly it doesn't matter what bloody age you are you can still get ca cancer it's not like yeah. age discriminatory or anything and it's clinical and it's cold and yeah. it's like when people go, oh, you'll start to suffer with this, this and this. And I'm like, eh? Like, I remember when I got diagnosed and I was talking to a lovely woman called Alice, Alice May Perkis on Instagram, who I love. She's a really good friend of mine. And she said to me, darling, they're smooth and there's chemo smooth. And I was like, what, you're going to feel like a dolphin? I was like, what? I didn't really get it. And then I, I didn't think you focus so much on the hair on your head. You're not thinking about your leg hairs, your pubes every other bit of hair that comes off of you you don't have to shave or wax for months it's wonderful but then also your nose hairs fall out and you're snotting every two minutes like they're just oh not falling gosh. out of your nose yeah okay. things people don't tell you so when you, you hand your leaflet say like you'll lose hair loss over your body you want someone to go it's your pubes it's your legs it's your nose it's this it's that this is what helped me carry a hanky it's all these things that no one unless you've been through an experience can tell you so that was the stuff I wanted to put out there, but I wanted to put it out in a way that didn't feel like the charities, that didn't feel scary and cold, that felt editorial and cool and digestible and real. And that's what I did. And, and it's like with most things where there's a need, if you feel like you needed something, that means other people need it too. And as Girl vs Cancer grows, I realise, you know, as a white, heterosexual, cis woman, 
who lives in London, if I couldn't find someone, what about all the marginalised communities, you know, like black women, we know from the work I do, Black Women Rising, like the, the, the attitudes within communities about chemo, as you've said, like, don't do it. It's the chemo that will kill you, all of this stuff. Loads of people not talking about it. We know that in terms of trans communities, you know, if you are a trans woman, you are 40% more likely to get breast cancer than a cis man. So it's like, why are we not targeting these these communities to give them information? So like, I, it's all started from me not finding what I needed. And now I'm like, as I'm further into the community and along this this experience, there's so much work to be done. And, I, and I'm really proud of Girl vs Cancer to be able to start shining lights on it um, and work with people to make sure that we get in a better place for future Laurens. Like, that's what I want. Totally. And I also think your involvement in the podcast has... Mm also kind of allowed a different kind of demographic to tune into that as well because when I first started listening to it which by the way I was a really late listener I only started listening to it at the beginning of 2019 because okay my way of coping with like getting over the depression after Danny's all clear I then weirdly started throwing myself into like running like 10Ks and things. And then I decided, because it was such a great idea at the time, lol, to go and run mm-hmm. uh, the London Marathon last year. Well done. So I ran it for Click Sergeant uh, Children's mm. Cancer because it's a it's a charity that I've worked with on and off for years. And in those really long runs, the music just wasn't cutting it. And I needed something mm. to just like get my head out of the game and like, so I couldn't feel pain. So someone had said to me, oh, I I noticed that you're really, you know, invested in like the charity side of everything. You should listen to this podcast. And I start listening to it. And the weirdest thing happened, Lauren. Mm. So this was obviously a weird kind of therapy for me because I would be running these miles and I'd be listening to you guys. And I literally started from episode one and worked all my all the way through. And I'd be running and I would be crying as I was running because one the topics you were talking about were very deep and very there were a lot of difficult subjects in there that had to be spoken about but i think i was shedding all of the stuff that was on my shoulders and all the emotion that i'd been carrying from what i'd had been going through with danny and it was like mm. this very bizarre but healing process and I'm not even joking, I cried every single mile of that London marathon oh last God. year. <laughs> and my Shit. husband is like, every time I see you at like mile 12, mile 18, you're just crying. And I was like, well, number one, I was in fucking pain. But two, yeah. like, I'm I'm releasing everything. Yeah, I'm yeah. releasing all this stuff. And I guess, yeah. you know, because I was so focused when I was running and listening to the podcast, I feel, you know, you all brought something to the table and it, you still do. And it, it's incredible. And I still listen but I did identify with you when you were having, you know, conversations all together because it did feel like someone was speaking on my demographics behalf. Mm. And I think that's really yeah. important. Oh, thank you, mate. Like, honestly, the, the podcast is one of the proudest achievements of my entire life. And, like, I always say I owe my career to Rachel Bland because, you know, I do stuff with Girl versus Cancer and stuff, and I'm really proud of what that does. But Rachel just put cancer on a platform with our pod that hadn't been and it has been a little light leading the way of where the conversations need to head and the impact it's had is enormous and I still can't get my head around it a lot of the time um so and it means a lot it's authentic it's authentic it's open it's right there on the table for you there's no Mm. like shining it in silver it like that's and I think that's how Mm. it needs to be People mm, know when raw. something's authentic. It has to be raw. It has to be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, 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 do you know what? There's never ever a time when someone says they listen to my podcast and, and, and they love it that it doesn't hit me right in the heart and makes me go, oh my God, thank you. Because, you know, it has been a labor of love, but also been really tough at times. You know, you're constantly talking about your trauma. I have yeah. days where I'm sitting there and like, I'm talking to someone about a secondary cancer diagnosis and I'm like, I'm literally talking about my worst fear all day today. Like, it's hard, but it's, it, I, it's something, it's my purpose and I know it's doing good. So it's something I will always do. And it, I guess, again, it's catharsis for me because if I try and bury my head in the sand of it, I think the fear grows. Whereas if I deal with it on a day-to-day basis, it keeps me in check some weird totally. way. Totally, totally. Mm. 
Okay, we're going to just bring it slightly back to the food mm. as much as I can yes. sit here all day and sort of put the world to rights. You document a lot of your food online. So obviously you're a bit of a foodie. What are some mm. of your specialities at home? I know you mentioned that you love a good stir fry. I do love a good stir fry, but do you know what? I've perfected and I don't know how I manage this, but I've got it down to a tea. Truffle mushroom risotto. All right. I make okay. the best truffle mushroom risotto. I do. What's I really secret? do. It's, it's disturbing and it's like, it's keeping an eye and I always just go by taste. So like, I never leave the risotto alone and like butter, put like big bloody bit of butter in there. Like, don't be shy. <laughs> like really, it's a real indulgent food and it's a real rich food. And also like with stock cubes, rather than just putting veg stock in, I put like the mushroom stock in. You can get colo, okay. like the organic. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They do mushroom stock. That is such a good, like, thing and also like mixing up what mushrooms you have so like loads of different variety I love it but I just I love a mushroom risotto anyway and when we were in lockdown I was like I'm gonna give it a go and I did it and I was like this ain't half bad and I kept doing it and doing it and now I don't even need a recipe I love it I've also managed to like kind of smash my um Thai curries and like chicken like laxers yes oh yes so like moving on the stir fry veg more vibe into that and I go quite veg dense with it like as I said I don't really cook meat at home I cook a lot of like prawns and fish um like I'll do like a a tomato kind of salad like with loads of Italian like herbs on it and some salt and then I'll have that with a lovely big slice of salmon like I've I've really perfected that and I've got really good at doing um grilled oat like aubergine with tahini oh don't you got me there yeah yeah i know i've gone really i've gone really boo i've just gone bougie that's okay i love it though but you're allowed to but then i have to then i'll be honest there's always a packet of potato waffles in my freezer i have days and my go-to do you know what i just need a cuddle food yeah is double waffle double fried egg baked beans (laughs) every time i love it but, but you know what? That's like such homey comfort food. Mm. Like I have those days. We all have those days. I love yeah. it. I mean, I and I also so I really love pasta. So like, I love playing with pasta. So like um, I've I've like I've perf- again perfected my mushroom garlic um, like pa- like I had like with spaghetti last night and it's just like easy wallop it in the pan. But I really want to learn to do a good moussaka. And oh. I really want to learn to do a lasagna. I've never done a lasagna. Oh, I have a great lasagna recipe for you. Oh, please send yeah. it to me. It's like, it's like a combination of a few different recipes that I've kind of made into mine. It's so indulgent. It's like disgusting, but it's fabulous. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I like live for loads that. of cheese. Just like, it, like everything's in there. Everything. I love, and I do. And do you know, I found a love. I think it's from being in a house. Like I lived the previously, so a year ago, last December, I moved from uh, one part of Hackney to the other. And now living like Upper Clapton. But I used to, I was in my house that I was sick in. And I just didn't have any pleasure in cooking or entertaining there. I just went in, cooked, ate my food. I didn't even like sitting down, having dinner in the living room. It was always in my bedroom. It never really felt like a place of joy. Now in the flat that I'm in, I love, I'm always having people over for dinner. I love trying out new meals. I'll go, I don't know how this is going to turn out, guys. Going to the butchers, when I do cook meat, it's normally for guests. I'll go to the butchers and get a really nice cut of lamb or something. I never used to do that stuff. Yeah. Ever. And now because I'm just a, there's a different energy. Joy. It's a whole different vibe in your new place. Yeah. When we are allowed back out one day, uh, where mm. are some of your favourite restaurants in London? I love El Ganzo. It's a tapas on Broadway Market. Okay. I absolutely love going there. Um, there is as well, I do really like Japanese food. And I, and, I there's I love going to like tonkotsu and stuff and having like a ramen. I really like a good ramen. Also, the Hoxton Hotel does an amazing. The Hoxton in Southwark does a really good mushroom risotto, oh. and they put an egg in the middle of it. Okay, it's unreal. I love the idea of an egg in a risotto. Yeah, Lena stores. Oh, pasta tapas basically. Yeah, ridiculous. Cannot get enough of it. Have you been, if you like pasta, have you been to Padella? I Padella. So when the one opened up in Shoreditch, I went there the first week of opening. Mate, I, I you had to roll me out. No, there. that is like that like blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then like for a roast and stuff like Madame Pig in Dalston. 
Like, there's quite a few places that I really do. I love food. Yeah. I love food. We actually went to, my friends and I, when there was the, um, in the summer, we went to a place called the Picklery in Dalston Lane. And I think it used to be part of Duck and Rice. But they, oh. yeah, it's gorgeous food. Like, really, really lovely. Like, unbelievable. So I don't mm. want to go back to there. Angelina in Dalston Lane. I'm very Hackney-based, you can tell. I'm just, like, Well, yeah, around. I'm going to have to get some, some recommendations on you because I actually need to start spending a bit more time east. Yeah, see, I never go west for food anymore. I always finish my conversations with a few quick fire questions. Are you ready? I am, I am excited for this. Go for it. My favourite snack of all time is a packet of crisps. What's your favourite flavour of crisps and why? Oh, my God. You know what I, I'm addicted <laughs> to? Ready salted hula hoops. Ooh, yes. Don't muck about. It's it. They've got the crunch... <laughs> They're quite a thick crisp, actually, when you think about it. Yeah. They've got a lot of crunch. And I just, I, my palate has changed. Like, I just love a real good, ready, salty crisp or a real deep, mature cheddar and che- uh, onion crisp. Yes. But, like, who, but, you yeah. know what? I still haven't found a really good cheddar and onion crisp. No, because I don't I mean, like I don't like the Walkers because I just don't no. like the flavour. I don't mind the kettle chips, but I find it a bit yes. too oniony. Yeah, I'm just still. Do you like Tyrrells? Tyrrells, mm, Chris. Interestingly, I don't like Tyrrells. I don't like the consistency really? of them. Yeah. Do you know what my favourite pack of crisps one? are? Please tell me. Oh, like the dirtiest of them all, pickled onion monster munch. Oh my god! But they are a dream. <laughs> You can't beat the old school crisps. You can't They're beat amazing. The you can't beat the chipstick. You can't beat a Razzle, uh, Frazzles. Frazzles, you, babe, you cannot. Actually, no, knickknacks. Not knickknacks. Oh no, no, no. God. What are the other ones? Space Invaders. Wheat Crunchies. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. I've forgotten about Wheat Crunchies. Oh, and a Pom Bear. Oh, Don't give yeah. Me started pom, bear. pom Bears. Literally, pom bear. I, could go, I could go through an entire multi-pack of Pom Bears. Oh, I have, and I will again. <laughs> Easily. <laughs> I knew you'd like this one. I knew you'd like this one. <laughs> okay. What is the craziest food you've ever eaten? Surely it's got to be something when I went to Thailand. Definitely had a cockroach, I think. But I'm someone who does like, like you said, like I do just wallop things together. And my mum's mm. always like, what are you doing? When we, I'll tell you something funny. My sister will love this when she listens. When we were little, me and my sister used to make my mum put tins of tuna, just plain, in a bowl on the floor, and we used to eat it like cats on the floor <laughs> with our mouths. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. You know what? I think you might have just won the award on that one. <laughs> That's weird. We used to play cats. We're like, Mom, can you do it? She's like, What are you doing, children? Yeah. I mean, you've literally left me speechless. I'm going to know. I'm going <laughs> to tell your friends. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be the deadly mouth. I love that. I love that. That's, that might be the quote yeah. of the entire chat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what has been your most memorable meal? Do you know what? I remember being in like 23 and I was on holiday with my boyfriend at the time and we went to Casaras in Spain and there was this Argentinian steakhouse on the beach and we went there at the start of the holiday and it was just next level. And we went back at the end and I had a fillet steak, medium rare, with like garlic butter mashed potato like you know perfectly mashed potato with runner beans mm. and honestly I still think about that meal and we had the meat sweats like we I went oh and like as a startup like gambas peel peel like proper oh, good yeah prawns, yeah which is it is top like god tier food I think gambas yeah. peel peel totally and absolutely and I need to actually perfect that at home because I've never perfected it at home but I genuinely that meal I still think about a lot because it was just, I just remember feeling every, it was so delicious, mm, so it rich. It hit every part of you. I do. And do you know what? I have to say, second close is the Ivy. If you get a uh, fillet steak at the Ivy with their mashed potato and veg, it's yeah. bloody great. Yeah. What is your favourite food? Or there could be a favourite meal or a favourite cuisine. I love pasta. I just really do in all its forms. Yeah. Because <laughs> you can have it quite light. You can have it meaty. You can have fish. I love Italian foods. I really do like a big bit of bloody burrata. Oh, stop. It's just, yeah, oh, stop it now. Bread. Yeah. I just love it. I really yeah. do. And I think with, 
Italian, you get the best of everything. You can totally. kind of have what you want. And then even like um, like Parmigiana thingy. Yeah, you know, aubergine, like Parmigiana. Cheese. Oh. Yeah. So you can have it as light or as heavy as you want. I, I love Italian food and I really enjoy cooking it as well. Yeah. So yeah, Italian well, also, for because me. when you've got the good produce, it's actually very simple and very easy. And that so is, just tastes bloody brilliant. Oh my God. When I came back from, um, where have I been? I think I've been to Siena for a wedding and I came back and I stocked up on the burrata, mate. You'd never seen so much. I was like, bing, bing, bing. The final question, and I think the most important, live to eat or eat to live? Live to eat. I Yay! food is, yeah, <laughs> I see food as pleasure. I take pleasure. I don't, I really, it upsets me. Like, obviously we know when we're eating worse foods or whatever. And yeah. I try and eat light in the day so I can have a really big dinner at night and really indulge and just like love food. I love food. It's such a massive part of my self-care, mental health, socially, socialization. Like I love food. I, I definitely don't just eat to live. Like no, no way. I no. love to eat. That's no way to live. <laughs> no way to live. That's right, mate. Not there we all. go. Lauren, thank you so much. You are the biggest inspiration. And I think oh what you are doing for your community, for, to be honest, everyone out there is just incredibly admirable. And I can't wait to see where everything is going to take you. You can follow Lauren on social media at I am Lauren Mahon, which is M-A-H-O-N. And also please follow at Girl versus Cancer. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening this week. If you love what you hear, please subscribe and leave a lovely review. And if you can't get enough of me, follow me on Instagram at Crazy Sexy Food and do visit the Crazy Sexy Food YouTube channel where there are plenty of shows for you to watch. Until next time, bye. Bye.